0: Welcome to the BMJ podcast. I'm Duncan Jarvis. In this episode, we wanted to do something a little bit different. As war continues in Ukraine, we wanted to talk to people who are supporting patients in that country at all different levels and trying to plan for a better future. We're going to be using diabetes, particularly those patients with diabetes who are insulin dependent to look at how the health of the population there can be supported. In this episode, you'll hear from Irina Vlasenko, Slim Slammer, and Yaroslav Yukunchak. My thanks go to Adriana Murphy from the Center of Global Chronic Conditions at LSHTM for helping me put this together.
1: I'm Irina Vlasenko from Ukraine. I am First of all, patient with diabetes, but in same times, I uh, vice president of International Diabetes Federation was. I was elected two years ago, um, but I was involved in diabetes movement more than uh, fifteen years.
0: Irina, what were those first few days of the invasion like? It must have been terrifying. First of all, we not expect
1: this uh, terrible situation. This war. And suddenly, like I remember this day exactly, then my uh, uh, friends call me for five o'clock, and wake up was started. This is what I cannot understand absolutely it's my uh, brain not accept this information, and uh, during two uh, days, I cannot do anything. I only run in. Uh, in my apartment, and cannot do anything, and afraid to go out because we have already seen that and some bombing in Kiev also.
0: And now you need insulin, um, so did you immediately worry about having enough supply to see you through?
1: Of course, I understand it very well that people with diabetes who have not insulin, how how long I can be without insulin? Two, Three five days. That's all. It's a terrible situation. I think I understand that it's toxic effect, mm-hmm. and if this is continue, you can you can be done. And of course, I'm uh, uh, I run into my <laughs> to a fridge, and look how my how much I have insulin, and thanks God I only like uh, got for three months. And I have insulin and this is little bit uh, not panic for me. I check my test strips uh, and I go to pharmacy, but it was not successful because big, big queue. I have, uh, I also try thinking about this because for me, I cannot be without uh, test strips. I afraid be without uh, checking my blood and sugar. Because uh, this is very important know what is it, which your condition because I afraid hypoglycemia even more than hyperglycemia. Hmm. and I, I have but of course I understand that maybe I must have more and go to pharmacy, but pharmacy was closed another pharmacy was uh, B Q have B Q because it's panic many people who have, Chronic disease. Of course, they are afraid and try to uh, buy some uh, some medicine. And they are from start. uh, I can say that it maybe minimum fifty percent of uh, pharmacies pharmacies was closed. And this uh, this time from start, like two three weeks, maybe two. It was panic. And big, big queue, people stay in queue three or five uh, hours for get something. But in that time, pharmacy have something, include also insulin. Uh, and of course, we have uh, many groups, patients' groups, and uh, do you have insulin? Do you have this? Of course, panic. And many people go and try to buy insulin. And from my side, it's, uh, it's right, because we don't know what happens next day. This is, And if you need to uh, spend money, from my side, if you have, of course, better uh, spend money for insulin, then after one month, you have money, but have no
0: insulin. This is,
1: uh, you must think and be clever in this situation.
0: Traditionally, natural disasters or wars made doctors worry about communicable diseases, dysentery, typhoid, all of those waterborne problems that occur when sanitation breaks down, or people are displaced to places without proper facilities. But now populations in these places, like populations everywhere around the world, carry a huge burden of non-communicable diseases, and that's making planning for these things... Much more complex.
2: My name is Slim Slama. I'm the uh, unit head uh, of NCD management, one of the four units in the NCD department in uh, uh, the World Health Organization Headquarters based in Geneva, Switzerland. Something that um, has been exacerbated, of course, with the crisis in Ukraine, but we have been witnessing this for decades now, is that the kind of traditional image of uh, kashokor corn, famine malnutrition is still there. There are four images of those uh, Children uh, are part of the kind of uh, imaginary of humanitarian response uh, in in camps uh, and sub-Saharan Africa uh, in particular. But even in those countries, uh, the uh, growing population, the change in the epidemiology, have made that that profile and the humanitarian profile and the health profile of population in humanitarian setting has evolved over the years. And even in uh, low-income settings, where that change from communicable disease to more prominent um, non-communicable disease and chronic disease condition have emerged. Um, some countries have already 30% of their total mortality related to non-communicable disease, merely cardiovascular disease, cancer, diabetes, and chronic respiratory disease among those uh, main uh, burden. So for sure, uh, when we go to countries that have a high income and have already went through that uh, empirical transition, as we call it, Uh, Ukraine is the case. More than 80% of the cause of death in Ukraine prior to the war, I mean, were uh, related to non-communicable disease. So for sure, you would expect that this uh, will be part of the main
0: challenges in in a situation and in a conflict like in Ukraine. And when it comes to people's kind of relationship with their health, an infectious disease, you you go, you are prescribed something, you know, short term. It's sort of held by the doctor. But With a non-communicable disease, um, whether that's heart disease or or in this case, uh, diabetes, you have some control. You know what medications you're going to, to need to maintain your health. And what Irina told us is that, you know, the anxiety of people with diabetes when the invasion happened was about maintaining their own supplies. They could have three months worth of insulin um, that they, stockpile, they could stockpile and everyone wanted to maintain, you know, that level. Now that must stress the healthcare system already before, you know, b- before a situation like this. And I, I, I wonder um, if you have any thoughts about the lead up, to a, a humanitarian situation, and um, you know the the need to support governments and healthcare systems even before uh, a, a disaster happens.
2: I think we really need to contextualize the discussion. Uh, first of all, I mean, people living with chronic condition and diabetes is a very good example of this. Is um, are meant to be. Um, the expert of their condition, but they are not living with the disease, they are living and they are surviving. First, if they can survive, of course, the environment and the healthcare environment in particular, determine what they can get even prior to a crisis. And that anxiety that you mentioned is sometimes something that is not related to the impact of any emergency, is sometimes related to what exists before. You have someone that live with a condition um, that could have been prevented at the first place sometimes for some of them, but uh, more acutely um, have access to services needs that are unmet and often unmet already prior to any crisis. So for sure, when a crisis hit, whether a natural or man-made disaster, uh, such as a conflict, it tend to exacerbate the needs and there are already needs that are not there. So yes, I think uh, the services have been geared towards acute condition, uh, where the self-care, where the empowerment of people uh, to maintain their lives, to be, I mean, part of the society, to uh, be able to get access without stigma, all those elements require specific design uh, for chronic condition. We we have seen it with HIV. I think diabetes is also an example. A lot of people uh, have uh, difficulty and psychological uh, anxiety and all those uh, stress because of uh, sometimes the poor recognition, uh, the poor communication about their condition, but also the inability to guarantee access to services without, I mean, um, financial hardship. I think this is some of those elements that are really key when we discuss this is that what pre exists to address those elements uh, to support people with chronic condition before a crisis. And what can we do um, even in a situation where uh, there's a lot of unmet needs prior to a crisis to at least alleviate and make sure that we are not exacerbating a situation and, and causing additional death and suffering for those people.
0: To find out a little bit more about those pre-war conditions, we talked to a GP, Yaroslav Yakunchak, who you may recognize from some of the videos that we've been posting on our YouTube page. Hello to
3: everyone. My name is Yaroslav Djakunčak. I'm a family physician. Uh, I have been practicing uh, family medicine around 16 years. Uh, Now I'm uh, working uh, at uh, Brovary Primary Health Care Center in Kyiv region, Ukraine. Uh, I have uh, 2,000 uh, patients, and uh, my aim is to provide uh, evidence-based and uh, patient-centered medical care.
1: Not too much. We have a reimbursement system. This is new for Ukraine. It was uh, in the start two thousand sixteen for drugs and also for insulin. And uh, but in another case we have not reimbursement system for test strips. In this case you must spend your money. It's quite expensive uh, for um, try to be in compensation in this criteria. But in, but unfortunately we have not. National diabetes plan. This is also minus, minus for our system because it's better if you can uh, strategic plan, make strategic plan, and uh, you know this is there must be accounting and economical aspect includes Many many because uh, diabetes plan uh, and people who live with diabetes, is not speak about insulin. It's big, big, another thing, another aspect, it includes uh, education, um, checking, monitoring, and so on, it's a lot, but we have not, unfortunately.
2: In the case of uh, Ukraine, we, we found out that there was, as you mentioned, several insulin, more than 30 insulin overall uh, on the market. Some were... Uh, locally produced, even, and I think it was—it's uh, one of the, those countries that have I mean, um, that strength to be able to have local producer. But of course, when a war uh, happened like this, many of the local production were hampered. So we had to step in and mobilize even the private sectors and the, the main companies, asking them, "Can you boost your production to cover those needs?" There was a spillover effect sometimes also on other neighboring countries. So I think it's really to analyze, even in the pharmaceutical sector, in the case of insulin, we have to decide um, out of those 30 insulin, are we going to maintain them all? Can we maintain them all? Can we find out a way to maintain the core ones uh, that are requested and maybe reduce the number uh, because we cannot um, provide it? Or if the ministry can provide it, it was the case to some extent how all the partner and WHO have been really at the forefront since the beginning to anticipate um, what are the core procurement, emergency procurement for life-saving medication. And of course, in the conflict, um, everything starts with trauma uh, and the impact of trauma. So we have tons of material for trauma care that have been there, but in parallel, for chronic condition, for diabetes, for cancer, for dialysis item, This is, I mean, the kind of prioritization that started very early on in the crisis with the Ministry of Health, uh, trying to understand where are um, diabetes care provided? Where is it in the primary care centers across some I in the country? Which one are safely protected and can be accessible to the population? What kind of services used to be provided which medication and how can we support to maintain that continuity of care? And it's very complex when you have a a very evolving situation like we have seen in the conflict here, where one day after another, you don't have necessarily access to the same centers and services, where people actually are also moving massively uh, within the country and outside the country. So maintaining uh, continuity of care is start with also understanding Uh, the health system, the pre-existing health system setup, and also the ability to, the health system to absorb the shock, their own stockpile, and the kind of uh, contingency
0: plan prior to the crisis. As Slim Flamber said there, this is very hard when the situation is changing. At the beginning of the podcast, Irina described the problems that she had accessing test strips for her diabetes, and that other patients had Getting their insulin. Now those problems are ongoing, and even worse for Ukrainians living within the areas currently under Russian control.
1: This is my life. This is big focus on my life. How this is half? No, I have storage. Too, like of course, like I say, three months with insulin. I was very happy with this, and but some people have not for three months, and and some people uh, also exchange or some people help each other i know some young girls in uh, in occupation territory which uh, who give uh, children insulin who share insulin with children because they have not like stop like finish this term and this is what people uh, do and uh, i think it's very important uh, social media which we use a million groups, Facebook groups, and and in same times it was not stopped. Um, anyway, insulin uh, government level tried to make very quickly and open some uh, pharmacy which have insulin, and they give to this information on official information. And of course, every time, like, uh, op- this is number of list of pharmacy who have insulin more and more. But this is a good part. But in same times, it's, uh, maybe it's not possible for some village. Mm. This is a problem. And there, as I know, another in in association, our patient, we have like, uh, two, Big patient organization who like member of IDEA, but in the same time, we have many groups, many another organization who in diabetes movement. And they, uh, for example, one of our organizations uh, uh, organized delivery to some region, small region, to village. And this is it was really heroic people who make this because it's bombing around and they try to deliver a medicine. To small village to small hospital into like small region, we have these um, maybe it's not popular people, but it's really heroic people. Mm-hmm.
0: Um, I was going to ask so the conflict with Russia has been going on in donbass for for a long time now, and it's expanded into to other areas. Are people living with you know interland-dependent people living there? Are they staying where they um, where they live, or are they you know migrating into other areas of, of Ukraine or, or elsewhere um, to try and maintain their supply? Uh, be
1: honest, I think that many many women uh, who really you know, from east part and was a lot of uh, uh, bombing area. They they move with children to another European country include, I know, a lot of people with diabetes in another country we can speak about later. But in the same times um, people old people are not sure they go to another country and maybe they live in uh, mm-hmm but deliver uh, supplies to this area. And as I know, in, on occupation territory now, because it's like long time without any, any supplies and people die, and uh, also it's uh, a lot of, I don't know, it's not official information. I only read some, some journalists that are uh, some people died, and some people um, must have um, had an amputation because it's like a self-problem and it is without any help. And they have an amputation. And uh, from my side, it's catastrophic because on this territory, which we can control anyway, it's we uh, it try to do, and many people help. It's not only government and also patient organization and even individual level also another patient organization organized deliver a uh, glucometer and test strips for example this is um, like uh, till address special like person to person and this is also very important but people without any health on occupation territory this is big big problem and from my side it must be um, for example, WHO or Red Cross or some organization uh, in be strong involved in this area. But if in our case, even they cannot deliver many, many help. And this is, I think, it's catastrophe. It's people die. Right. Uh, and uh, from my side, Russia uh, uh, occupies this territory. Who can be responsible for this? uh, They uh, they must take also responsibility for these people. Mm. It's uh, very hard to say this, but uh, without this, they die. And uh, I'm afraid that many uh, old people who may be in bad condition, and But have uh, diabetes, and maybe s- some people don't know about diabetes that they have, because you know it's a big percent diabetes type two without undiagnosis, and this case uh, it's only make worse and catas- and this uh, catastrophic humanitarian crisis, and people die, mm. and uh, it must be management managed. By some international organization, but in same times, how we can do this, how we can help? This is I have not answer. I try. I many people want help, and uh, from start it was I, I. get a lot of got a lot of support from uh, different country, individual level, patient organization. They try want to help us and they did and they help a lot and they continue to help and there are refugees but in same times what we can if you speak about occupation
2: territory it's it's terrible i mean as part of the un charter and there's a un agency i mean the element of um, uh, impartiality the ability to reach out uh, to all uh, population in needs uh, is at the core of our of our work. And I mean, across the globe, uh, I came from almost seven years and a half in the Eastern Mediterranean region where half of the countries are in emergency and protected uh, crisis. I and mean, CIA was an example. We have to work in areas that are no longer controlled by the government, uh, mm-hmm. and local authorities uh, are, are there. And we need to negotiate that space to make sure that anyone get access. A lot of the displaced population now forcibly displaced are outside the jurisdiction of their own countries. There are still, there is still for member states, a need to respond for those populations, whether within their own countries that are, I mean, they become responsible for their own population, or even for forcibly displaced uh, population that have a status of refugee or not. And I think this is where we, we try really to advocate for maintaining uh, access whatever the origin the gender political affiliation and this is where yeah, sometimes difficult difficult within um, a country also to negotiate that space when we are primarily a member state driven organization so we work with the government but when there are belligerent uh, from within i mean a country uh, Yemen uh, Afghanistan Syria were example before but in, in many situations of conflict um, we we try to reach out to all the population and, and, and really negotiate, but it's really something that requires that level of presence at the country. Sometimes the fact that we are there for years through a country office, of course, facilitate that discussion, but it's not a guarantee. It's always something that we have to work and also put at risk our staff in many of the situations, as you have seen, because that guarantee, 100% of safety, does not exist. And it's always something that you need to somehow negotiate. Mm.
0: And I imagine that negotiation becomes much harder when there's distrust between whoever's local and the and the international community, as there, there is in the case of Russia.
2: I mean, we have uh, office and sub-offices, uh, which means that also we can decentralize our ability to uh, really have... I wouldn't say separation, but in, in many countries, um, let's say, I mean, a government, in a government control areas, I mean, we focus on that aspect. Yeah. And, and there is a, an office that deal with that. And another office or sub office deals with another part of the country that might not be in the hand anymore of uh, the central authorities. Mm. And we have, we have seen it I mean, in, many, in many settings. And this is how we, how we work. Mm-hmm. Uh, but I think it's also important to maintain that we are a UN agency and we work with a certain number of principles, uh, including I mean, the fact that uh, we are now, I mean, monitoring healthcare attacks and whoever does it, wherever it comes and when it comes. But I think it's something that we will continue to monitor and say that this is not acceptable, and there, I mean, even in laws, I mean, some elements of protection that need to be at the core
0: Uh, our follow-up principles. NCD care, as we've established, isn't the same as infectious disease management. These are chronic conditions that require long-term care, good follow-up, management of risk factors. For diabetes patients, you know, the specifics of foot checks, retinopathy checks, things like that. The people in Ukraine were receiving that quality of care. But how can that routine care be maintained during all of this uncertainty?
1: If you have the uh, insulin, this is like big, big main part, but in same times, if you have not checking, but uh, blood sugar, it's also a big problem. You don't know what happens. Uh, but um, in, in from start, it was not many people can uh, reach any uh, medical help, any consultation, because hospital can uh, can close. Uh, but I must say, our doctor is many-region and uh, uh, really heroic, and continue to uh, provide, deliver this medical help people really need and u- urgent uh, uh, like. Um, very severe uh, situation, they manage and they continue to manage this uh, situation. And I know in Kharkov, you know, in Kharkov, big bombing and a lot of people uh, was dead uh, through this. But anyway, in Kharkov work, uh, diabetes uh, hospital and uh, delivers this help. It's very important. They not stop. They... And this is also Nikolai. I think it's, i maybe not sure exactly, but I know that mostly big uh, region uh, hospital uh, manages. And uh, in maybe after the two, three uh, weeks, many doctors uh, propose online consultation. Uh, yeah, endocrinologists, cardiologists, uh, many doctors okay, um, propose this. Of course, after a f- few weeks, uh, even uh, Ministry of Health organizes platform for uh, collecting this uh, doctor who deli- who can make online consultation. But we must be realistic that yes, I can call and uh, uh, endocrinologist deliver, uh, deliver this help. And I am very lucky because I have very good endocrinologist who really helped for me, h- helpful for me and he can uh, she can answer uh, any question. Um, and there, uh, and this is what I want to say that anyway it's only for people who have possibility uh, for consultation. We must be realistic and also we don't know how old people, they cannot manage.
2: I mean, for for many of the people living with diabetes, uh, they are the expert of of their own condition uh, somehow. Uh, of course, I mean, we are talking about high income settings. Many in low income setting, they are not expert. They don't control anything because they don't even have access to the basic care. And I think, as a human right, even their uh, right to health is is not guaranteed. Unfortunately, but if we take the example of Ukraine, many of the patient and uh, the people living with diabetes. Um, what they need is um, uninterrupted access to maybe medication, um, to some extent, also diagnostic uh, devices to monitor I mean, there, there. And for those who had to fled the country, it would require that maybe you switch. Uh, even in Ukraine, I mean, many uh, patients were using uh, not uh, vials, but pens. And pens might be another way, I mean, to uh, to, uh, to support people on the move because it's it's easier. I mean, to to for someone fleeing a country, maybe to use a pen rather than having to open a, a vial and maintain. But these are the kind of practicalities around how you support them. But the main challenge has been just to safely go out to get access to the medication. I think the main determinant is the war, is the conflict, is the insecurity, uh, and the inability to just fulfill those basic. Uh, uh, requirement to get access, the pharmacy were closed, where can you get access to the medication and maintain, even without any support of a doctor or nurse or health professional to um, give you instruction. Of course, many people often have also, uh, I would say, poor control diabetes. In an emergency, you just want don't want people to show up with an exacerbation of diabetes, a ketoacidosis that have to run in emergency care services that are already I mean, overstretched and cannot receive them. So I think we need also to set what are the uh, the target here is really to maintain people alive with a level of control that at least uh, guarantee them that they are not uh, having acute exacerbation. But this in itself, just maintaining access to continuity of essential uh, drugs and medical devices and strips, because often we overlook also that for people with diabetes, it's not just a matter of drugs, but you also need to monitor at least from time to time as best as, as we can. Um, and then of course, when um, a, a response is a strong and pre-existing primary care system are in place, uh, like even in Ukraine now, uh, one attempt was to set up recently mobile teams Uh, Mobile teams for chronic disease management usually doesn't work very well, uh, but at least to provide a point where people can get some information, maybe some orientation towards where they can get their medication. Uh, But it's not a kind of very strong longitudinal follow-up like we do for any condition on a regular basis. We just need actually to take into consideration what is feasible in, in a given
0: context. There's also surveillance. It's new diagnoses, people who are, are developing diabetes, and obviously not just diabetes. You know, perhaps things like cancer or the general health problems that a population has don't stop because of a of a conflict. And but we often need to
2: prioritize within those most common condition. Which one are commonly encountered, uh, and which one can be managed at the? Uh, I would say at the people or patient level, or even through limited support through primary care services that could be maintained from the more specialized type of care. I mean, uh, chemotherapy, uh, radiotherapy, surgical cancer therapy, maintaining it is much more complex. Uh, Dialysis need to happen in in centers and require a a wide range of, of services and setup from water, electricity to start with. Uh, You cannot run a dialysis machine if you don't have, I mean, a way to get clean water and electricity to run. So I think this is also where uh, often we we are around the discussion around the prioritization, what can be done at which level. And the element is really people themselves, how much can they stay out of health services but maintain the health as much as possible. But I think then moving to the virus service delivery is what is still functional, safe uh, to be maintained. Uh, And then we prioritize within this uh, because sometimes it's a decision whether people need to be evacuated. Most of the children with childhood cancer have been evacuated, but most of the adults with cancer in Ukraine are still in the country and receiving care. The same for most of the patients with dialysis. So how do you anticipate those needs uh, and, and built a system that uh, allowed to cope in the early phase, but also as a situation, I mean, with more than 100 uh, days now after the crisis, I mean, uh, it's extremely difficult sometimes to maintain those essential services.
0: Mm. And how do you do that prioritization?
2: I think it's a dialogue uh, also with the Ministry of Health, and as, as I said, it starts with... Um, a the public health situation analysis, as we call it, is really to anticipate what would be the impact of a given uh, crisis and what has been also the pre existing capacity. Uh, and we we'll look at that in terms of mapping. Um, and of course, the analysis of the conflict in itself, uh, because the safety is key. And you have seen with more than 300, I think, uh, 23 attacks on healthcare services and, and civilians, I mean, um, since the beginning, uh, as part of um, of what we collect as as, as data now in, in many conflicts, but in Ukraine in particular, I think this is what determines our ability to reach out to people in need, to make sure that we have um, safe space or channels to be able to reach out, including in like the eastern part of the country where you used to operate, even in terms of humanitarian situation, because in that specific part of the country, it didn't start. Uh, I mean, a few months ago, it was already there for for almost a decade. So, um, sometimes we built also our resilience uh, on on pre-existing operation, uh, including for emergency.
0: The war in Ukraine is ongoing. Reports suggest that this is not going to be over quickly. And we may be looking at years of ongoing violence. But even while supporting Ukraine through this, the work of improving healthcare doesn't end. And plans are beginning to turn towards the future of Ukraine's healthcare system.
2: And yeah, and for sure, I mentioned. I mean, there was even uh, recently uh, in May publication of uh, of a draft about the principle of what could be the recovery. But as I mentioned earlier, um, an emergency like this one hit on a trajectory of uh, health system reform, of health system maturation, where progressively, I mean, countries are all on that path of at least, I mean, committed to universal coverage in terms of progressive realization. It takes decades uh, for many countries, of course. I mean, we've seen even in high-income settings it didn't happen overnight where we are at the moment. Uh, The financial protection, the extension and the expansion of benefit packages um, without, I mean, having uh, catastrophic expenditures, all this actually require uh, a lot of reforms. So I think for Ukraine, is the same, I mean, um, specifically since 2018 and uh, that creation of the uh, NHSU and uh, all the reform that that, that happened. Uh, we are not in a perfect situation, but we're also building on something. I think uh, one of the elements is really to start rebuilding and maybe building better and with a strengthened focus, specifically when a country has uh, uh, mainly... Uh, a burden on, on NCDs. I mean, that focus on NCD prevention and control in terms of strengthening the service delivery of organization is for sure. And uh, we learn from COVID, we learn from such situation unfortunately as well. I mean, how you preserve essential services in such situation, but how also you reinforce them. So then when any crisis hit, um, you can mitigate and not have that um, additional morbidity and mortality and suffering. Uh, But this is um, a process that takes sometimes and often uh, decades, but this is something that uh, we can for sure, I mean, learn from, including in this very dire situation that the the country is in at the moment.
1: Uh, Thank you. Uh, I think it's it's a very difficult question now because we don't know what happens next. Uh, First of all, we must think not about statistics, that for every statistic data, we have concrete person who have problem and uh, we must uh, help person, first of all. And additional last point that from my side, as I pharmacist, we're not used enough, like big uh, resource of pharmacists who really uh, have very good education in this area, and uh, but not used. And in humanitarian crisis, uh, pharmacists could be only one person from healthcare who can deliver some help.
3: Yes, of course, we have a lot of problems in our healthcare system, but uh, we, need a, we need a transformation of our uh, healthcare system. Some things uh, are already done, have, have been already done, but uh, we need to improve the quality as you say, the quality of our health care, to access to high uh, special care also. and uh, I suggest the main thing is uh, to stop the war, to stop the war. And if we will have peace, uh, we uh, will be able to rebuild our healthcare system and, uh, Improve the quality uh, for, uh, of uh, medical care and uh, provide uh, continue to provide transformation of our healthcare system.
0: My thanks to Irina Vlasenko, Slim Slammer, and Yaroslav Jakunczak, and also again to Adriana Murphy. That's it for this episode, but we'll be back very soon with another episode of Talk Evidence. So tune into that for the latest on some COVID news. You can find us on Apple Podcasts, Spotify, or all other major podcast apps. And please do rate and review us. It really helps us know what you find interesting. So until next time, I'm Duncan Jarvis. Thanks for listening.